This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. Starting it out once again, doing the drawing for this week's Lockdown Giveaway. And this week is a controller bundle from Castlemania Games that has four different Retro Fighters controllers. Two USB, one N64, and then that awesome Dreamcast controller. And I don't know if these controllers have yet shipped to consumers. So whoever wins this drawing might actually get it before most other people. So I'm very excited to be part of that because that controller looked awesome. Uh, really appreciative of Ryan stepping up and helping with these. And I, I really, really just like being able to do something fun that might put a smile on people's faces. Uh, not to put a bummer on any of this, but I am getting killed in the YouTube algorithm. Uh, none of these videos are getting sent out to people who want to be notified. I had so many people contact me saying they didn't even realize the giveaway was up until I started talking about it on Twitter. Because even though they did subscribe to the channel and they do have notifications on, no one was getting the emails. So please, if you see these, share them with people, let people know. I really think it'd be pretty neat to just spread the word and uh, I'm going to keep trying to do it as long as I can. Um, and one of my favorite things to hear from people that win is, wow, I never thought I'd win. I've never won anything before. You know, I, I put my name in, but no one ever wins these things. So if you're one of those people that thinks that you never win, what do you get to lose? It's completely free. Just type the word giveaway at the bottom in the comments of whatever week's giveaway there is, and that's it. So uh, anyway, let's jump in and do the drawing now. But um, if you can, please help spread the word about these things, because I do want to help spread the love. And, you know, in the weird times we're at, a free controller might actually be a pretty cool bonus. But let's dig in and do the drawing right now. Okay, so time for the drawing. Just like I've been doing, I'm going to step through every piece of the way just so people know it's legit and I'm not just uh, no funny business here. Uh, go right in, enter the video address, filter duplicate users, and filter comments based on a text. I'm going to do giveaway, and here we go. It's getting the YouTube comments. Sorry for anybody listening, audio only. It's just dead silence. Uh, and now I'm just pressing start to get the random winner. And it is... Alex Willem. So, Alex, congratulations. Uh, this is an awesome bundle. I think... You know, I think the Dreamcast controller is probably going to be the most exciting one, but don't discount the rest. The N64 one's been getting great reviews for the original console, and the two USB controllers could always come in handy if you use emulation. Um, and just a note to anybody that uh, that's paying attention to these, uh, it's not case sensitive. So post giveaway in the giveaway videos, not in this video, not in other videos, only the giveaway videos, not on uh, Facebook, not on Twitter, just the giveaway video on YouTube and just uh, the word is going to be giveaway each week, um, not case sensitive. I type them in uh, 
I typed them in all lowercase, but as you can see right here, it picked up all of them. So uh, congratulations to you, Alex. Uh, I'll contact you in the comments. Uh, we'll exchange emails and get these out to you. So congrats and enjoy the controller bundle. Displaced Gamers just posted a video about the MSX computers, and they went through the technical details of each and tried to squash some myths about them as well. And I really didn't know too much about the MSX going into this, and I really enjoyed the video. I think it's one that as long as you have interest in this stuff at all, and even the slightest bit of technical knowledge, you could probably get into it. And the things that impressed me most, are, and usually impressed me most, are how some developers were able to use some very, very cool techniques to get smooth scrolling and to basically make the hardware do more than it was designed to do. I was also pretty impressed that later versions of the MSX are fully, fully backward compatible but offer much more power um, and that even some games were able to run on both versions but take advantage of all of the, the versions with the faster chips in them and stuff like that so i don't want to spoil too much of it um if you uh if you're into this stuff please give it a watch and please remember to uh subscribe to the displaced gamers channel i'm such a big fan of theirs and i think it's criminal that they don't have over a hundred thousand subscribers already um they're another one also that i don't get notifications anymore for even though i clicked the bell and made sure that i i want to get notifications from them so youtube is, is seriously broken um and it just very sad because there's a lot of good content out there that's getting overshadowed by, well, you know. Retro Gamer Store has just opened pre-orders on a transparent PC Engine case with matching case for the controller. Um, I believe they need a minimum of 80 pre-orders in order for this to go through, uh, just to fill the minimum order. And it's $110, which I believe includes shipping. So um, this thing looks absolutely awesome, and I really love it, but it is expensive. So this is something that you would really have to treat as like maybe your case is cracked and you really needed a new one, but you know you don't want to, uh, you don't want to have to mess with buying a different console or anything like that. So that this is certainly a very high end replacement, or maybe you're just somebody that likes the fancier type of stuff. For me personally. Just my opinion. Um, I like PC Engine and Turbo Graphics, but I'm perfectly happy with the way they look. But I love Super Nintendo and Genesis. So if those cl clear cases were ever made, I'd buy it in a heartbeat, um, even for an expensive price, because it means a lot, both the aesthetics of it and how it plays. So, uh, you know, I'm sure the, the first comments about this are going to be that's so expensive but you really got to just put things into perspective you know is this something you really want is this a high-end thing that you want to turn your pc engine into uh, and of course it, it should cost this much unless you're doing runs of a hundred thousand getting stuff molded like this costs a lot of money so uh, it's not an unfair price for the quantity that they're making but it is expensive. Totally agree with you there. So um, I'm going to uh, respectfully sit this one out, but if anybody ever makes one for Super Nintendo or Genesis, or I, I guess even weird stuff like a Game Gear, I'd probably be all over that. Um, also, Retro Game Restore has a bunch of other very cool stuff coming out. They were the ones that made the VGA666 RGBS hat. I could probably use some help with their naming, but <laughs> uh, so keep an eye on them as a, a store to watch in the future, I guess. But anybody who wants a clear case matching for their controller and core graphics now, check this one out. John Linneman just reviewed the Evercade handheld console, and I was very, very surprised at his conclusions. Uh, so for anybody unaware, the Evercade is a handheld LCD-based console that plays cartridges 
and the cartridges themselves contained the games and the emulators. So there's a Genesis collection on there with um, with Blast M, which is a very high quality Genesis software emulator. Um, you know, there's different collections of games that each contain all of that, uh, and then you plug in the cartridges and, and play the normal way a handheld would play. And when I first saw this, I'll admit, I, I, I saw the picture and I just went, great, another LCD handheld console that's stealing other people's IP to make money. Yeah, totally wrong. Not at all what this thing is. I had been paying attention to it as it uh, as it had progressed. Um, and in John's review, which I don't want to spoil too much of because it's a great review, um, and I do recommend if you're interested that you watch it, but really... He had realistic expectations, and the only actual complaint he had was that there's no button remapping, which, in my opinion, is is kind of a big deal. Um, anybody that played like um, like Mario Kart on the DS, I remember hating to have to hold my hand that way and wish I could use the Y and A buttons, maybe the X and A, whatever it is, the inside buttons instead of the outside. So, uh, really, other than that, it seems to perform fairly well for what it is. Uh, and, you know, I guess there's a finicky thing with the HDMI output, but it, it works as long as you plug everything in in the right order. So for $80 and the ability to to sell cartridges for it in legal packages where people could sell new games on a handheld, I think this is really cool. I'd like to see Trophy and the company that's behind it maybe do uh, a NES emulator pack with their all of their games on it. Um, I think Mega Cat Studios has one. Pico has one. No word if the label is misspelled or not. But, I mean, the point is that you could have an expandable console, and as long as it doesn't perform badly, which this apparently does not, then it seems to be pretty cool. Um, I do wish John did some lag tests. I think I even sent him a kit, so I will privately bust his chops about that. But um, he did say that in the basic lag testing he did, it was pretty solid, especially compared to other solutions. And he even felt that the lag was less than some of the mini consoles that have been released, um, which is absolutely an attainable goal these days. So uh, I'm happy to hear that companies are taking the time to really work on that. But if you're interested in it, please give the video a watch. Uh, I enjoyed watching the video, even though I won't be buying it, but I won't be buying it only because I prefer to game on big screens, not on handhelds. No disrespect to the Evercade or any handheld lovers. Um, I just, it's my thing. Sorry, but uh, yeah, it's a cool video. So I was finally able to test Kevtris's 32X noise fix, and I found that it did make a difference. Um, I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible, but I do need to run through the whole scenario. Otherwise, uh, unless you've been keeping up with the history, you would have no idea what I was talking about. So uh, the basics are that the 32X plugs on top of the Genesis, but then you run the Genesis video and audio output into the 32X, it adds its own layer of video on top of the Genesis, and then that's why you have to use the 32X output, not the Genesis one, to get your audio and video. Um, even if you have something like a Mega SG or a triple bypassed Genesis that has, I was going to say crystal clear, but as clear of an analog video output that is realistically attainable, and then you try to add the 32X on it, you could still get some noise. And I always wanted to dig into why, but I've had so much trouble with 32Xs over the years, I just kind of put it on hold. I was wondering if it was composite no, uh, video color interference, just like on uh, the Model 1 Genesis. You know, are there cables run too close to each other? Because anybody that's ever seen the inside of a 32X, it's half factory bodges in there. So, uh, And Kevin, Kevtris, uh, the designer of all of Analog's products, all the, the hardware and software, he found that 
the switching power supply inside the 32X was inherently noisy. Uh, and it's something we've learned in modding these old consoles as well. So he found that if you switch two capacitors out, it could really clean up some of the noise that it introduces. And he thinks there's no ill effects of this at all. So I was finally able to test it because a Patreon subscriber was nice enough to send me their 32X. And not only did they send me their 32X, it was already recapped except the two Kevtris caps. So I guess they recapped it right before this fix came out. Um, so every, all of the capacitors, including the two that I was going to switch anyway, had already been replaced with new ones, and they did a great job. Um, and then they sent me a baggie with a console 5 capacitors for them, the, the same two that you're supposed to replace. So I was able to capture before and after testing. Um, I wasn't able to get the capture correct. I wasn't able to set phase. I'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but I was able to clearly see that there were horizontal lines across the screen that you can no longer see. Um, now, there's still some other noise in the signal. Some of it's always going to be inherent analog video noise. Some of it could have been phased. Um, but the point is, the fix did work. One of the capacitors is super easy to change. The other is very tricky because you can get it out fairly easily, but trying to get your iron into this very small spot without bridging pins elsewhere, that could be a little bit tricky. So if I ever get a chance to do it again, I might see what happens if you could only change one or something like that, or maybe you have to change both. I don't know any of that yet. So, um, you know, modify this at your own risk, I guess. So overall, it seems like if you want to use a 32X and you have digital displays, so capture cards, flat screens, this is definitely something you should look into. On CRTs, I don't know if you could see a difference. There are some things that you could always see a difference, even if you're playing in composite video. Um, and I don't think this is one of them. It's hard for me to tell because, I mean, I, I've kind of trained my eyes to look for these things. Um, so if you're playing on a CRT, the only advice I would give you is if you're going to recap the 32X anyway, definitely you know do these as well uh, but if you hadn't had the chance to do it or, or if you'd already recapped it i don't know if i would go back and redo them on a crt but on digital displays definitely um, and one other very quick thing that i mentioned before so uh, artemio's amazing 240p test suite um, is not available on the 32x because I don't believe there's a set of open source SDK tools in order to write them. Uh, but what is really needed on every console out there is an all white screen and a checkerboard pattern um, in all of the native resolutions the console um, supports. So it might be 256 and 320 for the 32x. I don't know if it's only 320, uh, but whatever the console is and you know, in a perfect world, you would also have grid patterns, 100% color bars and all that stuff. But really, all that's needed, bare minimum, is all white screen, checkerboard pattern. And if I had to pick a third, I would pick the bandwidth test that's in the HD Retrovision, uh, HD Retrovision software. Uh, it's the one with the black and white bars really close to each other. Because those three test patterns allow you to test voltage, allows you to test the, the signal itself on a scope, and that checkerboard pattern especially allows you to very easily dial in phase. There's no, you know, if you have a checkerboard pattern, as I showed in the video capture video, setting phase takes like five seconds. And if you don't, I just find it 
really, really hard because when you zoom in to try to figure out what's off phase or what's just analog video interference it, or what's just part of the game, it starts to get really tricky. So if there are any developers out there that are, would be willing to help, 32X definitely, but pretty much any console that doesn't have the 240p test suite, it would really be amazing just to get those two three patterns would be really great. Um, even people that hack arcade boards. Um, I've been unfortunately pestering Paul from the MK2 Plus project for quite a while now to add uh, the checkerboard pattern and the bandwidth test to, to his ROMs so that I could then take original Mortal Kombat hardware and throw them on a scope and do different kinds of testing for them. So if you have the ability to do this, especially now if you happen to be home, please help. All Just a very basic ROM, boots to a white screen, press button and switches to checkerboard that's it it would be absolutely amazing just going to make sure that it uses the 32x layer not the genesis layer um, and of course just look up the 240p test suite and if you're able to make that for every other console out there the whole community especially anybody that uses direct capture or even the ossc will be indebted to you because that's the easy way to tweak the ossc you fire up the firebrand uh, firebrand x custom timings then you just go and set the sync um, phase I believe it's the sync phase over to whatever matches and with a checkerboard pattern same thing it takes like two seconds so sorry for going off a little long on that one but it's a not a desperate cry for help but a very polite cry for help for 32x and other consoles like that I just released a video called Direct Controller Input Mod, and it basically tells you how to mod any control pad, control stick, whatever, for use with super guns or with the Neo Geo. And the reason I made this was because I'd been to a bunch of retro-focused fighting game events, and I saw a lot of people have issues with controller configuration, button mapping, and stuff like that. Uh, some of it had to do with the converters they were using. Some of it was just, you know, bad luck, I guess. But if they had direct wired their sticks, it's a non-issue. You plug it directly into the super gun and you're done. Um, luckily, uh, buttons one through four, coin start, and the directionals are pretty much the same on everything out there. Uh, I don't think any super gun out there has changed their pinout for those. Buttons five and six, um, those change depending on what you're using. So uh, if you have the ability to do this and you compete in tournaments, I would watch this video, wire it up the same way, and maybe add a jumper or a switch or something for, uh, you know, for the different kicks, just so you might be able to change it around if you play on a super gun that isn't configured right. But, or I, I shouldn't say that. That's just, it's not that it's not configured right. It's just configured differently than what maybe you were used to. So I think it's a pretty important mod. Um, you know, I did it to a bunch of my sticks. I did it to a control pad. Uh, the Hyperkin SNES one was fairly easy. I was able to use a heat gun to knock off all the components on there, solder directly to the pads. Um, it was something that even I felt comfortable doing, and I was very proud of how it came out. Of course, then a day later, Jose had to show me up, and he did one with a glob top that has impossibly small points to solder to that he made look like a factory job. So uh, <laughs> check out his Twitter if you want to see that awesome work. But uh, I use the control pads with super guns for testing just because it's so much easier when I'm on my tiny desk to not have a big control stick. But I do know a lot of people that prefer using control pads, so that might be a help. But the video is really meant just for people that have big arcade sticks that, you know, lots of room to get in there. You don't have to be a, a master modder to, to remove a glob top and 
solder to all those tiny little points. You know, it's just basic momentary switches, um, same as you'd find in arcade machines in most sticks. Even the ones with Sanwa sticks or um, uh, or different kind of circuit boards on there, like I showed in the video, you could pretty easily tap into most. Um, I also wanted to use this video uh, as an excuse to finally show off the Undammed adapters. They're freaking amazing. I really love them, and I I didn't feel that I uh, I could do a good enough video just about them, so I've been kind of sitting on them trying to figure out a good place to put them into these videos, and this was the perfect place for it. And of course, also I wanted to show off Tian Fang's board because it just, it saved me a lot of time. I guess people that have been doing this mod for, for years now probably don't even need to worry about pinouts anymore. They probably just haven't memorized. But for me, being able to just look at a circuit board and say, okay, you know, well, up goes here, A goes here, B goes there, it just it saved me a ton of time. Uh, the only thing, of course, the board is going to or the wiring is going to be different based on if it's a plug or receptacle connector. So if you do buy that board from OSH Park or something, just make sure when you solder it in, read the side of the board that matches the orientation that you're soldering it to. I made that mistake. Uh, I, I used the receptacle connector, wired it up. It worked perfect. Then I used the plug style and everything was backwards, and I had to do it all over again. Totally my fault. I should have realized everything was backwards. So um, luckily, Tian Fang corrected that, and it should be pretty easy now for anybody that wants to do it. So while it's certainly not the most exciting video I've ever done, um, it depending on how you use your super guns and how you use your arcade sticks, it might actually be incredibly helpful for you. So please give it a shot. Uh, and I also included a link to the Displaced Gamers video on how control pads work, because um, that kind of fits directly into this as well. And also, it explains why you can't just uh, plug a control pad directly into a super gun, why you would need to direct wire or get a converter. The Swiss team has pushed a few more updates to their software since the last time I talked about it a few months ago in the winter. Um, and there's a bunch of really awesome changes, but two that really stood out to me that I wanted to talk about. So first of all, if you don't know what Swiss is, it's the Swiss Army Knife of Tools for the GC or for GameCubes. Um, and it allows you to use anything from original discs all the way up to optical drive emulators in a better way. You could boot to Swiss and force video modes, force regions. Um, it's at the point where for years now, I don't even, in most cases, I wouldn't even load a GameCube disc. I would load to Swiss first and go from there just because it, it makes my life so much easier in most cases. Now, the two major updates in this, one of them is they changed the, the skin, they changed the look of it, and I prefer it. I, I think it's a pretty cool upgrade. Um, but the other upgrade they added to it was instant loading if you're using a GC loader. And to be honest, I noticed this because uh, my GameCube that I was testing on is a PAL GameCube that I uh, installed a GC loader in, and that way I could run both PAL via the RGB output or everything else through the digital output. So when I had it connected to my capture card, I powered it on, and it kind of freaked out. and went from PAL right to NTSC <clears throat> in a different resolution. I mean, what the heck just happened? I turned it off, I turned it on again, and I'm going, how's it? how's it going directly into Swiss? Am I not powering it off? And that's when I, I asked Extrems, yes, they did actually add instant loading to this. So I don't know what trickery they're using. I just like to think of it as magic, but um, that was very noticeable. So if you're a GC loader user, uh, definitely update to this because it boots pretty much, I mean, you power it on, count to two, and Swiss is there. Um, there's, as usual, a very long list of other changes that they'd worked on. Um, so normally with Swiss updates, I would tell people 
people go through the changes and see if it's something that applies to you. Um, but in this time, I would say just update it. It looks a little bit better. Not that it looked bad before, but looks a little bit better. Um, and that instant loading is pretty awesome. So as always, thank you to the, the entire Swiss team, anybody that's involved in that at all. Thank you so much because it's becoming some of the best tools you could imagine for the for any console, really. So it's really a must-have for the GameCube. The RetroPie team just uploaded version 4.6 beta that has official support for the Raspberry Pi 4. Now, up until now, you could manually install RetroPie in a kind of a different way by loading a different OS first. It was kind of complicated and it worked, but I ran into some issues with it myself, so I'm really looking forward to trying this one. Uh, I know Laka has a Raspberry Pi 4 image. Um, I think I had some issues with that and some of the Raspberry Pi hats, and I don't believe the RGB Pi OS is working on the 4 yet. Certainly not with the, the ones that I have, the adapters that I have. Um, so this is kind of neat for people that want to take advantage of the higher power of the Raspberry Pi 4 um, and hopefully still be able to use the RGB hats that we'd previously used on them. I'm especially looking to try out uh, run-ahead mode for MAME ROMs because while I predominantly use the Mr. and original consoles for consoles, um, Raspberry Pi is really how I use most arcades. Uh, obviously, the very few boards I'm lucky enough to own, that's how I prefer to use them, but it's just not feasible to collect a thousand arcade boards, um, whereas you could very easily load up a whole bunch of your favorite arcade ROMs right on a Pi. So I'm really looking forward to trying it out in RGB and seeing how the run-ahead mode works and maybe even finally doing some more solid lag measurements on this. I think I did a few years ago, but I hadn't uh, gone back and revisited it uh, after hardware additions and some software tweaks. So um, maybe I'll finally use this as an excuse in the coming month or something to just do Raspberry Pi lag testing. But for now, if you have a Pi 4 and a Raspberry Pi hat, give this thing a try and see if it works. I saved this one for last because I have a feeling I might ramble about it because I'm very excited about this. So I'll give a quick description. And if you don't care, you could just drop off right after. Uh, nothing critical after this. Um, Mike Chi has added specific 480i scan lines to the RetroTINK 2X Pro and 2X SCART. And the way they work is by drawing one line between uh, the, the same way you would draw normal scan lines, but they're thinner because it's higher resolution to match the 480i. But each of these scan lines alternate between the odd and even lines between each frame. So if you were to look at it in slow motion, which now that I say that out loud, I probably should have done a slow-mo video of it, you could kind of see the scan lines jump up and down. And it gives a feeling that's supposed to feel exactly like what 480i looks like on a CRT. So that's the gist of it. I'm going to get into the details of it now. So, uh, But I think more people might care about this than they realize because this is some of the best scan lines I've ever seen. So the experiment that I did to see how I felt about this and the accuracy of it was I uh, rolled over my 20L5 and then I played a PS3 game connected directly via component, uh, just Daytona USA, but it's one of my favorite games, so I know it very well. I played a, a couple rounds of that and then I watched a made-for-TV movie, which is The Stand, which on a side note, by the way, that movie is so much worse than I remember. It scared me as a kid and I remember watching it like right after I turned 21 at one of those hangover Saturdays where you're so dehydrated, your eyeballs hurt. And I kind of still liked it then, but maybe it was just because I wasn't in the right state of mind. Drinkers know what I'm talking about there. Uh, and I, it was terrible, but I managed to sit through the entire first part of it 
just for this experiment. Um, and I watched it in 480i because coincidentally, just about a week or two ago, my wife and I did an experiment. She's not really a nerd, but she appreciates the, the visual stuff like this, where we watched an episode of a TV show in on the 20L5, but de-interlaced to 480p. And then we watched it again, uh, or the other half of it in 480i, and we both decided that 480i looked sharper, uh, even though it was a CRT both ways. The deinterlacing was fairly decent, and I, I think that's because TV shows were shot in 480i uh, and 60 hertz. And when you have things like movies on DVD and you deinterlace those and play them in 480p, they just look like movies that are slightly low resolution. But any, you know, I guess that would go for anything shot on film, but anything shot specifically for TV has that specific look to it. Um, so it did it seem sharper in 480i, so we didn't do the 480i P test in this one. I did for two seconds just to make sure it was shot the same way. So we watched half of the, you know, 45 minutes of episode one on the 20L5, and I watched about 25, 30 minutes of it on my OLED TV, but through the RetroTINK 2X Pro with these scan lines turned on, and it looked really close, like shockingly close. Um, and then, of course, uh, I just I watched like the last 15, 20 minutes of it through my Oppo Blu-ray player that has a very, very good upscaling chip in it. Not so great of a deinterlacer, but um, and it was fine, but it wasn't. I didn't like it as much. I, I thought it, in the same way that I would watch 480i versus 480p on the 20L5, same thing. It just seemed much sharper, and it also felt like I was watching TV, which led me to the question of if you grew up with CRTs in your house, then you would also probably think the same thing. Oh, that feels right. That feels the way it was on a CRT. But if you grew up only seeing flat panels, would it look just awful to you because you're just used to low res TV uh, and how that looks on its scale to a flat panel? So I'm kind of curious about that. So if there's any any younger viewers that wouldn't mind commenting if you have a, a tink and you have the ability to test this. Um, and also after that, I played a few more rounds of Daytona. Same thing through the PS3, through the retro tank um, with the 480i scan lines on. And I played it. I played one full round, and I went, you know what? That's really neat. It does look exactly like it. But let me just check out the other modes. And I that was the one I liked the best. Shockingly, um, it had the same amount of flicker as Bob deinterlacing. So if that bothered you before, it probably still going to bother you. If it didn't bother you, then it's probably going to look better. Definitely give it a try. Um, you know, I, I think when it comes to deinterlacing games that's really going to be on a case-by-case -case basis, and I think that might also be what your brain interprets it as. I don't want to say nostalgia, because most people who get hardcore into these games are into it for the game, but if you have seen something the same way for a very long time, then it's just what your brain is programmed to see. I always joke about how Neo Geo looks weird to me on a PVM, because the only time I saw it my whole life was on an arcade machine with a, a different type of CRT than Sony's use. So maybe it's just stuff like that, but I'm really interested to see what other people think about this. Um, luckily, the Tink 2X Pro and 2X SCART are super easy to update. You plug it into your computer while holding down a button, load up some software, load the file, and you're done. It's like less than a minute start to finish. No external programmers or all that stuff. So if you have the ability to test these things out, give it a shot and see what you think. Because I, I was just 
so impressed by it. And I don't usually get excited over scan lines because 240p scan lines are so thick that... Um, and, you know, I know scan lines themselves are actually the information on the screen, not the black, but I'm talking about the lines that go over it. You start to see more detail on a CRT. So where the lines are drawn, the lines of actual video data, you could see the space between them. You could kind of, especially on a normal line count, so either a low line count like a consumer grade or just a basic PVM, you could see the definition of everything um, vertically and horizontally, whereas 240p scan lines on a flat panel are just solid lines going across the screen horizontally, and the only vertical additions you have are whatever your panel naturally does, which you normally wouldn't be able to see unless you get your face all the way up close. So I, I haven't really been excited at all about artificial scan lines pretty much ever. Um, I'm interested to see what's going to happen when 4K scalers come out, and there's the ability to draw more detail on the screen. But as of now, I just don't... If I want to see scan lines, I game on a CRT... But when it comes to 480i, I mean, I need more time with it. I want to make sure I'm not just excited, but I think this is a really awesome way to experience it. So if you play 480i games or if you watch TV shows that were originally 480i, uh, or if you want to give the stand a try, maybe I was just in a weird mood last night or something, uh, give it a watch and see what you think. But I was very impressed at how this looked. Um, and if it's something that other people want, I'm pretty sure it could be implemented in things like the OSSC and the Mister. Um, you know, I say that so casually as if it's an easy thing. It's not easy. It takes very smart people to do this. I'm not one of them, but usually the people in the scene are great and they're willing to add this stuff. So definitely check it out. Definitely um, try it with games and with TV if possible. And I guess if you want with movies, but I mean, that might just be what your brain wants to see at that time. For me, you know, if it's a progressive scan movie, I want to watch it on a flat panel. Or if it's a movie with a lot of film grain, I prefer watching it 480p on a CRT. And that, I think, is what I'm really excited to start testing new scalers uh, in 4K, because I'd love to see if you could have the same exact effect. In fact, if I'm able to, I, I would love to also invest in a macro lens for my GH5 camera, so I could take shots of OLED, LCD, CRT, and, and really try to figure out a way to generate a pattern that looks right for your TV to have the same type of effect. Because while the need for scan lines might die out once the last person who grew up with a CRT stops caring about it. Um, if you want to preserve some, the way something looks, you're going to need stuff like filters. And based on what I saw last night, if, you know, 20 years from now, somebody wants to see what 480i looks like and you play them exactly what I did, that's a pretty darn good representation. So sorry for going off too long on this one. It's just something that for whatever crazy reason I'm super passionate about because I always want to have the right experience when I when I have the very few free moments to enjoy some content, whether it's games, movie, TV. It does kind of bug me when I just watch like a 480i TV show on Netflix, badly scaled and compressed on my TV. Uh, you know, I do appreciate when things look better. Um, and while it doesn't, it's not going to ruin a show for me, 
it would like it wouldn't take away from the show, but watching it the right way or the way I prefer adds to it. So I always want to be careful with that now because a lot of people over the years and not even over the years, even this week are still accusing me of only pushing the best solutions. And I've never been about that. I get excited over all the solutions across all the different price points for all the different needs. And I'm just as happy with a you know composite video on a CRT as I am on a basic scaler on a flat panel. Um, so you don't have to have crazy setups to enjoy the differences between all of this stuff. You could go through the same thing with a junk CRT you pick up for free and a DVD player with composite video output. So, all right, I'm going to end my rant here. Sorry for going off. I'm just really excited about it. Um, Can't wait to hear what everybody else has to say who had time to test it. Well, that's it for this week. If you're still with me after that long 480i scanline rant, then I guess you're probably another fellow video nerd like me. So thank you for sticking around. (laughs) Also, thank you to everybody who watches, who listens, and participates nicely in the comments as well. I really appreciate that because I want my comment sections to be someplace that people could feel comfortable going to, not some drama video where you're just going to get crapped all over. And I really appreciate when people take the time to have good conversations. And I usually learn something fun too. So thank you very much. And of course, a giant and massive thank you to everybody that subscribes on Patreon and Floatplane because it's your support that's keeping all of these videos going. So thank you so much and I'll see you next week.